0: everyone. Welcome back to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today we have such an exciting bonus episode for you guys. We have the author of our August Book Club book. We have Lisa Tedeo, who wrote Three Women. So if you tuned in yesterday, we had a whole conversation about the book. We talked about the plot in depth, and then we did a very long discussion about it because we had a lot to say. But it's kind of just a dream having Lisa with us. Like, this book is a masterpiece. Lisa, welcome. <laughs> Thank you. That's so kind.
1: We're like your two biggest fans. We're <laughs> so excited. And especially I'm... with this book, I'm so excited to hear the behind the scenes. Yes. Eight years. Eight years. We we have to talk all about that. <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for saying all those kind things. That's super cool.
0: We're not being kind. We're just being honest. <laughs> yes. So before we get into the questions,
1: it's a quick intro. If you missed yesterday's episode or if you hadn't heard of Lisa before, Lisa is the author of Three Women. And uh, she's also a journalist who's written for New York Magazine, Esquire. Uh, she recently wrote a collection of short stories as well as her novel. And we're excited to get into the into the who's and what's. So wait, so Lisa. Yes. Can you tell us about your background before you started writing Three Women, before we get into the questions about the book? I'm just really curious how you you went down this path. Sure. Um,
2: so I had always wanted to write. I've written in some form or, or another since I was a kid. And I I guess the sort of beginning of uh, this th- this writing life that is happening right now is I wrote a short story um, for Esquire magazine called The Last Days of Heath Ledger. And it was reported fiction. The idea was that I was going to, Heath Ledger had just died and it was incredibly sad. And, um, you know, just also everybody was confused. And the editor-in-chief of Esquire at the time, David Granger, who I, I still maintain is probably the best magazine editor that's ever lived. He uh, wrote me an email that said, um, Heath Ledger died, why? Go and find out what you can and then fill in the rest with what you think happened, which I thought was, you know, a really remarkable, remarkable idea. And also I had just lost my parents. So the idea of loss was something that I, 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 I understood had to be sort of taken care of with a very Just a serious hand. Um, So that was, so I wrote that story for them, and it kind of, my career just kind of like moved along from there in the direction it's been now. And uh, I started writing for New York Magazine, and I wrote a story about um, bottle girls who are the young women who bring bottles of expensive vodka and champagne to. Tables of men paying for the tables for like ten thousand dollars. So I did a sort of in-depth look at bottle girls, and after writing that story, I um, believe that it was a cover story, and the headline was uh, "The Half Hooker Economy," which was reductive of what the actual women were doing. But um, but it was it was it was really interesting to be with them. And my current editor at Avid Reader, Simon Schuster, he took me out to lunch following that story and asked me if I wanted to write a book, like about almost anything.
1: That's amazing. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, wait, tell us about the journey of the book, because in the book, it says that you spent eight years writing this. So yes, I don't imagine that he took you out to lunch and you were like, cool, give me eight years. No. Um, so it was,
2: you know, the contract was for two years with at the time that I was given that contract. I thought it was a really long amount of time. You know, I've, I've, I'm so good at writing stories really fast. I was so, I was like, Oh, this is going to be done in like six months and it's going to be awesome. Um, and that clearly didn't happen. So, I, you know, I think part of part of the problem was that I didn't really know what I was writing. You know, it's not like it's not like you go. Oh, I'm going to write a story about you know, like um, the 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 men who lay the stones and the stone walls that you know run down the streets outside of my house. Like there's no like you go to those men and you go, okay, so you guys get up in the morning and then you do this and then you know there's like a, there's a set of definable principles and things that people want to know and ask about when it comes to desire you don't really you don't know what you're looking for and and that's the thing i wasn't looking to write about you know women who only like to have sex with well, only like to be penetrated by dildos i was like i wasn't looking for one specific type of of situation i was looking for kind of a a cross-section of what desire in America was. And like I didn't really know where to start or how to start or who to start with. So that's why it didn't take two years.
1: So how did the process work? Like, what did you do after you started to, you had a book deal and you eventually got to three women, but what happened in between? So
2: I started by driving across the country. Uh, I did that six times in the end, but oh my I did gosh. it the first, the first time I did it, I, uh, I met this doctor in Indiana who was performing these hormone treatments on this group of women. And they were incredibly, they were just really, they were, the hormone treatments were great. They were not FDA approved, And I don't know if they are yet, but they were working really well and the women were losing weight and they were like feeling newly sexual in their bodies. And I, the doctor said, you know, I, I think that these women might want to talk to you. And so I, I kind of, I decided to move to Indiana basically on that hope that these women would talk to me. And I, well, that's something I moved to Indiana because I had to get out of New York. You know, New York is like, I was talking to people in New York. I was, I was traveling from New York to San Francisco, going to the porn castle, going to meet swingers in Cleveland. I kept like traveling places and then traveling back. And it just wasn't gelling. Something kept, I just, my, my life in New York kept sort of, you know, bringing me out of the book. And so I moved to Indiana. Um, just kind of on a whim. The Kinsey Institute was there. There was a group of women there that were interested in talking to me. It was Indiana. It was somewhat the middle of the country. So that's, I just, you know, after a year and a half of, of taking a bunch of notes and interviewing a bunch of people, that was the first thing that I did for the book that actually stayed in the book.
0: And so it sounds like there was other women that you talked to besides just these three. How many How many people did you start chatting with and how did you narrow it down? I feel like the, the three women that you ended up ultimately profiling were all their stories were so amazing. So I'm just so curious, like what, I'm sure it was much bigger than that. It was,
2: so it was, I spoke to hundreds and hundreds of people. I spoke to, uh, about 70 for longer than a few weeks. And I spoke to at least 30 for longer than a month or two. Oh, wow. Wow. So it was multiple. And, you know, and when I was researching one person, I would be looking for other people. It was kind of this ever moving situation. So because I didn't really know what was going to stick and what I was doing. So like while I had, I had started this discussion group in Indiana where I met Lena, who's the housewife in Indiana and the first woman that stayed in the book. While I was talking to Lena and the other women in the discussion group, I was talking to a lot of other people in and around her town in Indiana. I was talking to people who worked at her supermarket, people who worked at you know the doctor's office. And I was kind of I was either trying to decide whether I was gonna zero in on Lena and the people around her or Lena's town that Lena would be one part of. And while I was doing that, I was also concurrently like driving around to other areas, trying to look for other people, talking to other people. So it was kind of always this, it wasn't like, oh, these, you know, I'm looking for these three stories or I'm looking for these, I I wasn't even looking for women. I was just looking for people who would be one, have interesting, compelling narratives, but more importantly than a compelling narrative became the idea that somebody would actually be willing to talk to me like not just about sex, like talking about sex is kind of easy, like, oh, last night I had sex with this really hot girl and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas, you know, what I was looking for was, okay, so that, that first hot girl didn't want to talk to you. And then this happened and that happened. How did that make you feel like, tell me the truth about that. So getting from one to the other was really, really hard. And then getting that not only, not only someone to tell you that, but to be okay with you telling it to other people was the issue.
1: Yeah, I imagine. And so you found Lena through this group, but how did you find Maggie and Sloan? So So with Maggie, I
2: had, I was in a town in North Dakota it was like a very cowboy town. I would, I had heard about a group of women who were working at this local coffee shop who at night were being like sort of trucked into the local oil fields where the men would just be sitting out in these like rows of trailers and these women would have sex with them for money. So I was in the coffee shop kind of waiting just Observing at first and trying to decide how and and in what way I might approach it, and while I was in there, I was reading the local paper, which was something I did in every you know small town I was in, just to see what was going on. And I read about Maggie, who whose this trial had just ended like two days prior, and Maggie had um, taken her former teacher to trial for an alleged relationship that had occurred when she was underage and and his student in West Fargo. Um, so I read the story about what had happened with the trial. I was, it wasn't so much the outcome of the trial that was interesting to me, but the fact that, and this is the thing that really like made me want to follow that story was that there was no actual intercourse that was being alleged. It was there was, there were sexual things happening, but it wasn't intercourse. And what I thought was really interesting to me is like, why, if someone's lying, you know, why are they lying in these very weird ways? Like, why are they saying, no, that didn't happen, but X, Y, and Z happened. It was just the detail of, of what was going on was striking to me and all these thousands of hours of phone calls or hundreds of hours I'm sorry hundreds of hours of phone calls after midnight between a teacher and a student
1: that was, was so just, crazy yeah. to us like when yeah, I was it. reading it like I was like I just can't imagine any situation in which yeah. that is not in some kind of way like a romantic relationship exactly it's great and you know that's like what they said that to the jury and the jury was
2: just like you know, no, I mean, you know, he was just helping her out. And and that was striking to me. So that's what um that's what made me sort of shift focus. And I wasn't gonna shift completely. I didn't know what was gonna happen. Like with all of these things, you don't know if you know if the person's gonna talk to you at all. So I called Maggie's mom and I drove out to meet them the next day.
0: Now I'm curious, do you still have relationships with these women? Cause I would imagine that spending all of this time with them, like have you followed up? Like, do you still talk?
2: Yeah. So Maggie and I talk at least daily. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> um How's she doing? She's doing great. I mean, it's been it, it's been a lot because her name is the only name that is real, so people can look her up and that's that's its own its own sort of difficulty, but um, she said that the book has given her closure. And what's been really amazing is that there's been so many young women writing to her, thanking her for telling her story, which is just, uh, I think the best case scenario um, that, that I could have hoped for, which is exactly kind of what I thought was going to happen. But then I worried that it might not. And then, um, a corollary to that which has just been unbelievable so Abby Wambach was always Maggie's hero she had pictures of her all over her bedroom when she was growing up and a couple of weeks ago Abby Wambach Instagrammed a photo of herself reading the book with her girlfriend <laughs> and i wrote to Abby and i said oh my god you're Maggie's hero and she wrote back publicly and said Maggie's my hero. Oh my, so my god. I know it's insane. And Maggie, you know, that just that's that's the kind of stuff that you know, you don't do things like this. Like Maggie didn't tell her story for that to happen, but when you do tell your story and then something like that happens, it's just it's a it's just it's just what it, it's the positive of what it can be when you're brave about being honest about something so that's been great um and the other two I talk to them weekly or biweekly you know with them it's a little bit more i don't want them to be discovered in their communities i, I think that's the biggest issue because of course you know Prior to... I thought I was writing a quiet book. I still think it is a quiet book. Um, I'm surprised that it's become sort of a larger situation. And so because of that, it, there's a lot more concern for for something I didn't think I, w- I was going to have to be that concerned about. Yeah. So, but yes, I talked to them too. I mean, I think that I you know, unless they end up feeling differently. Um, I, I would never want to not have relationships with them. I, I've been in their lives and asking them intimate details. First so of all, I mean, it's not like you're doing a celebrity profile and like you, you know, like, you sort of clap your hand. You're like, okay, that one's done. Like this is a little bit more, you know, it's different. I think I would be a sociopath if I didn't Care and want to hang out with them still, you know.
0: Can you tell us anything about how the other two are doing? They're doing well. I mean,
2: Lena in Indiana is. That's who I was
0: most worried about.
2: Yeah, so she's doing really well. I mean, you know, one of the reasons I I wanted, one of the reasons besides like the three women who stuck, the three people who stuck in the book are there because they were willing to just go super deep and be super honest. but Lena was one of the people that, beyond being, beyond probably giving me more than anybody else had of, of her inner thoughts, and, and beyond that, just her sort of awareness of having these inner thoughts and understanding who she was and what she wanted. Um, beyond all that, Lena's, Lena's needs and desires are so elemental to me, and they're so representative of the way that I think so many of us want. When we want in a way that doesn't feel like like uh, like other people are going to be okay with it, and that's what I think is so 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 lena's in she's doing a lot better, but she's still she's I, I think i guess the issue that I have is that lena's doing great she was doing she was in a lot of pain, but she was also experiencing a lot of desire, so I think it's just about. I don't know. I guess what I think it's about Lena specifically is that like, she's fine with who she is, you know, and she feels pain and she feels passion, but she's like, she just like, she's honest about it. And I think that that's so massively rare. And, you know, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of the people have said that I stopped wanting to talk to men and I decided I just want to talk to just women. I mean, it wasn't so much like I stopped wanting to talk to men. I was talking to men up until the end, but, you know, it's like with Lena, for example, no man that I spoke to was that like, like, you have to be really honest about your deepest pain and deepest want. And, and it's, it's really not easy to find that. And with men specifically, I think it's harder for them to, for example, I was talking to my own brother, who at one point, I was sort of profiling for the book, just in case I was just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to have, I'm, I'm, I really cast a wide net, including the narrow one of my own family. Um, and with, with my brother, you know, like even though I knew all of his history and I knew these, these intimate details, he still wasn't really telling them to me in the way that I knew that they existed. And to sort of see that up close it made me understand what I needed from other people and how I couldn't settle for X, Y, and Z less than what Lena gave.
1: That's so interesting. So on the topic of men, was it that the men were unwilling to share or that they were just not in touch with the emotions surrounding their actions? Like, what did you find there? I think it's a mixture of both. And I don't, you know, it's
2: funny. It's like, I also think that there's a sort of, there's a shutting off and a compartmentalization. I have plenty of male self-aware male friends, but there's still a point at which they don't, I don't know if they can't, I just haven't seen them access it the way that women do that same sort of like need it'll for them. It'll sort of, you know, I've said this a bunch of times, I feel like, it says so much in such in much fewer words than it would take me to say. And even though, you know, there's a whole, you know, Woody Allen is not somebody we should be. There's a whole, you know, there's a skewed way of looking at at his whole career. But what I will say is that in, I think it's, I don't remember which movie, if it was Annie Hall or not, but he says, you know, there's no such thing as a bad orgasm, which I think for women, there is <laughs> and and I think that that's that's the main thing between men and women that I've found that for men, it's like, well, did you want her? Yeah, yeah, I wanted her, but like but well, like like there's a sort of there's a there's sex and then there's love, and the two don't mix as much as they do for women for women, like the sex and the love aspect are so like. It's just, it's I, for me, for what I found, it was deeper, it was hotter, it was more interesting, it was more complex, and it was just more something I wanted to write about. You know, it wasn't that, like, guys didn't want to talk or didn't, it, I just found that the, the, the interconnection of sex and, and love for women was just so much more vibrant.
1: Well, I'm curious about how working on this book for eight years affected you and affected your relationships. Like, how how did it or did it change the way you perceived your relationships or, or those around you? Like I know you have that super jarring story about your mother and the prologue. Like, I guess how did this change just your outlook?
2: Um, you know, I it made me more in tune with not just my own, but with my fellow female, um fellow female desire and like of my friends and stuff. And one of the things that I think that I saw so much and, and that I've seen also in the book's perception and, and how other people view these women in particular, the the competition amongst females it is rabid, And I don't think, I think it's less, it's not as bad with younger women. I think it's worse with, you know, women in their 30s and up, not that women, I mean, I'm in my late 30s, not that women in their 30s are not young. But I mean, like, by young, I mean, I mean, I certainly don't feel young, but I'm saying like, (laughs) when I say young, I mean, 20, like early, mid 20s. Um, With with women in their late 30s, early 40s, mid 40s, that sort of like 35 to like 50, there's a lot of stuff going on there is what I've found. Over 50, everyone's like, you know, there's just like a sort of polished understanding of the way that life is, is, has, is going in a way. There's still more to learn, but there's also like this. There's just this, like, there's an, more of an okayness and a fraternity. And the same is true of younger women. And I think we get to this place, and it's because a lot of the women, you know, in Lena's age group and in Sloan's age group, there was a lot of competition. And because I spoke to so many of the women around them and their stories, I, I saw so much of that. So I, I had always had this kind of a hunch about female competition, but to see it out there in the wild was very haunting. And so it has made me more aware of my lack, my dishonesties in those departments. And, you know, not to say that everybody should walk around with like a sort of stamp on their forehead saying what they're insecure about. But I think that when we when we're kind of not honest about our insecurities, what we end up doing is judging and sort of reflecting and refracting our own insecurities onto other people, which is what I saw happen a lot.
1: That's so interesting. I'm curious with Maggie in particular, it seems like she was judged so harshly. I'm curious Mm -hmm. if you can talk a little bit about like what the attitude was like in the community around her.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy to me. It's,
1: it's crazy because. um, And wait, you came into this like, the trial it just ended, right? Just
2: ended, yes. Yeah, well, so you, you like lived
1: to... some of this with her. Yes, I mean we definitely it was from it was from the sort of
2: reaction to to the to where the book ends, which is kind of her seeing this picture of him. Um, so to, to I mean, you know, to talk to people, it was. Sho- I mean, I was shocked. Now, granted, you know, this was all pre me too. I mean, a lot of my reporting with Maggie went beyond it, but all of the stuff that happened, all the trial stuff and all the aftermath of the trial stuff was all pre too. So that said, though, I was shocked even then that things were the way that they were. And it wasn't so much... It, it's the quieter stuff that's that's worse in some ways. Like, you can have, you know angry white men screaming in the streets that like you know so and so is a slut or whatever that's 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 its own terror right but then you have these like young women who are you know a year older than you or you're younger than you and they're saying things behind your back when they don't even know you and to have that be the the sorority that you not you know sorority in the sort of Metaphoric sense you that you come up into when you're having your worst moment that was shocking to me. The fact that you know Maggie staged the protest after the trial went in a certain direction and uh the same day she staged this protest a- group a parade of young women who were current students of the teacher staged their own anti-protest against maggie's protests and there was just young women going you're a slut you're a whore he didn't want to touch you like people who didn't know her were just screaming names at her in the street holding up signs um and it wasn't any men it's not like it's not what you think it's not not that men didn't have their own parts, and and not not even that it's necessarily a gendered thing, but just that it's people who human beings who don't know other human beings, casting you know their their judgments and saying cruel things. It's just it was I was shocked. I'm still shocked.
1: I can't even imagine that. It's terrible. Wait, one thing I'm curious about. If you know, I know in the in the book the thing that ultimately made Maggie kind of bring these charges was that somebody brought up the point to her that it was unlikely that she was the first or the last did anyone else come forward accusing this man so there
2: are rumors (gasps) that i um Mm. that i haven't been able to talk about um but yeah i mean there's there are you know, there's, there's a lot of, the thing is, um, what I found, the stuff that I found that I can talk about is that, you know, there's, there's a certain, we have our, our visions of pedophiles and what they look like. And for this situation, it was less about, for me, it was less about the man. And the teacher. And it was more about. And what I wanted to focus on. Was Maggie's actual experience. Of what happened. And the experience that she had. Was shaped not just by this teacher. And what he did or didn't do. Mm-hmm. But also by what the pe- the entire world around her. Said to her. And looked at her like. Before her involvement. And after and during her involvement. There were so many things shaping what Maggie's experience was that just to like put it on this one teacher, I think is, you know, it's not really the point. It's, it's so much more about everything around her and, and how we become women in the world when we have, you know, we sit here and we, we talk about what you know, this terrible thing this person did or this person when really it's never usually like one person. It's usually like a lot of people, but the same lot of people that are shocked by what the one person did, did their own, you know, million little tiny stabs, you know? So, so that's what, that's what I found. But yes, it was Maggie's, it was shocking.
0: Now, what made you decide to tell her story in the second person? We thought that was really interesting. So I started
2: it, I started it with her story in the second person, um, because I had talked to so many people, specifically in Fargo, who were so like, you know, so absolutely positive that, you know, that she was lying. And um, I wanted to, I was sort of writing it for the most staunch non-believer and I wanted that person to have to like viscerally climb out of her head in order to not at least give her her view a second look
0: that makes a lot of sense I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole yesterday um (laughs) just reading the press from Fargo about the teacher and about the the whole scandal and it felt very pro him and that was upsetting it was like new book comes out to defend I don't know it was just like it didn't seem like they believed you guys.
2: No. And, you know, it's funny because um, because that's the whole – that's the way that it, it felt there. And there's something about the media that nobody – and that's something that the media can do, obviously. But they did it in in Fargo. I don't think they did it necessarily on purpose. But they do it in this way that's very – like they never said anything wrong in a way or about Maggie but it's also it, it's also shaded uh against her so very quietly shaded that you know it's just it's just it's just surprising and uh, what's also surprising well not surprising Maggie didn't want to talk to any of them you know now that the book's come out um people have tried to talk to Maggie and she- oh, from there and she's mm-hmm. not talking to anyone from there because of what they did the first time and she doesn't trust media for that reason and i i don't trust it either in so many ways because even though you know i've I've written you know this is a book and granted it's a different situation but i've written i've written for you know plenty of magazines and newspapers and there's there's a there's a way that you get to you know, like, to assert your opinion on something. But it has no place in a newspaper article about a trial between a teacher and a student. And the fact that it the fact that you read those things, and you can feel it's pro him across a wide range, is really part of is part of the largest part of the problem, I think.
1: Yeah, well, wait, so you mentioned before that me too happened while you were writing this book. And I'm curious, how it affected or if it affected how you told the story and also like, did it affect the way these women perceived their own stories? Because all of them had some level of trauma in their, in their background before they kind of got to their current circumstances.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I think that me too, it was about, I'd say, I think I did ninety percent of the reporting on the writing prior to it happening, okay um but you know what's i guess the the thi- the, the thing I was always writing about and and though me too didn't get have a name, obviously we've all had a name for it in our own heads and like what we wanted to tolerate it and what we didn't, but what I had' been writing about was not so much what we didn't want but what these three women did want. And that's what was interesting to me. So I think that the way they looked at their stories... uh, Now, Lena's, Lena's not... Me Too is not something that is part of Lena's parlance. And it has nothing to do with any sort of ignorance or anything. It's just not... I mean, I guess it can be called ignorance and not know of a giant sweeping social movement. But at the same time, there's plenty of things that I wouldn't know about that are giant and sweeping where Lena is from. So, you know, I, I think that I mean, I know that for Lena, three, um, for, the, for Lena, Me Too has not changed the way that she sees anything in her own community. Um, with Sloan, it has changed things a lot, I think. Uh, not in like some giant way, but sort of in like the the little ways that are almost that mean more. And when it comes to Maggie, you know, Maggie always going through the process made Maggie understand me too, before Mm -hmm. me too happened. Um, So Maggie is almost like a test subject for me too. Yeah. Um, But, you know, in the aftermath of it, I think it's, it's, in some ways it's been easier for her and the way that people have reacted and, and probably hopefully people have reacted to the, her, her, to her story specifically in the book better because of me too. Um, But, but she hasn't sort of come to, I guess it's, it hasn't been, it's not like me too has changed. Like she still has to deal with the stuff she's had to deal with. Right. And, I mean, that's the thing. It's like no matter how much things change on a wide level, it's kind of like the inner community stuff and the way that we see ourselves in our own brains that takes a long time to process.
0: Yeah, totally. So could we shift gears a little bit and talk about the book launch and what's next for you? Sure, so I mean, we have seen this book everywhere. I remember hearing about it the first time and being, like, "Oh, this sounds interesting. Oh, but you know, is it's nonfiction. I don't read a lot of nonfiction. i definitely i'll I'll like put it on the shelf fast forward maybe a month later, and like it's it's everywhere. it's on every blog, it's on every Instagram. What has this this response been like for you? I mean, you know on the on the
2: one hand, it's um it is it's sho- i mean it's shocking that it that I see it in so many places um it is it's shock i also have, this is my first book so i i you know i don't know what it would have looked like if it weren't like this you know what i mean like i guess um i this is my first experience of it so i'm seeing my book at all is um is crazy to me, especially when I was working on something for a decade and like didn't know what it was going to look like or if it was going to exist. So Even seeing it in a book jacket is enough, but to kind of like, you know, walk by an airport and see it like on an airport shelf. I'm like, what, what is my book doing there? So it's, you know, and I have my daughter who it's dedicated to like walk around. She's like, look, it's it's mommy's book. It's mommy's book. And I'm like, you know, (laughs) so that's
0: like really, um, I would be taking like obnoxious selfies everywhere. (laughs) Like it's just gotta be so cool. It, it it was cool. You know what? Actually,
2: the coolest thing was Adam Ross, who has been um, one of my idols and who's now like, I mean, the fact that I'm friends with him, it just makes me so happy. But he, um, I was with him the other day and he met my daughter for the first time. And he said, uh, he's talking about, he's like, and then, you know, then you're going to do this for the book and blah, blah, blah. And my daughter goes, Ugh. Are we talking about three women again? Ooh, <laughs> I'm like, we I didn't know. even know that she knew the name of
0: the oh, book sassy. four years old. And I
2: was like, oh my god, how do you even know the name? You're so weird. Um, so anyway, so that that was probably the most like, oh, like, you know, like I was like, oh, so my book exists because my daughter knows its name.
0: Yeah, that um, was gonna be my follow-up to that was what's the, the craziest moment been? But that's that's a crazy one.
2: That that's yeah. That I mean, there's been, you know. I, I guess no. Actually, I'm sorry. I do have a crazy moment. I was um. I think I know. I no. I think I posted it on Instagram, which I'm not. I'm like every day. I'm like uh, like I'm like that's why I mentioned something to you, Grace, about your Instagram. I'm like oh, but like, that's so cool. That's how you do Instagram. I'm trying so hard, you know. And it's like people are like, you guys do this. I'm like okay, okay. I'm on it. Um, but. Uh on Instagram, I posted, I found this guy, this 90 something year old man reading my book outside of a a, a a bookstore in Corta Madera, California, where I had just done a reading. And this 90 something year old guy is reading my book. And I, I, I love was that. Like, just so shocked. And I went up to him and I said, um, how, do you like it? And he was like, yeah. He's like, have you read it? And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, Oh, well I gotta tell you, I'm it's really, really good, but I'm just skipping through to the Sloan parts. And I was like, Oh. I was like, Well, that's the at first I I thought that, you know, since Sloan's the one who's having the most inch you know, sort of like hottest from the outside threesome sex, I was like, Okay, I guess that makes sense. You're in your nineties, you know, you wanna skip to the good parts. Um, but I, I then he goes, Well, I'm like, oh, you found them racing. He's like, Well yeah, but you know, my wife who just passed away, that's the sort of you know, we had an open marriage and I really miss her. And this kind of makes me feel like what we were doing was not something I'd had to be embarrassed about for our whole lives. And I like almost started crying. Oh my and God. So that's been that's been the most insane um that's moment. really cool yeah it, it, it was really cool
1: do you want to know something cool that i saw somebody dm'd me because um three women was the answer to a question at bar trivia and they were like i know this because of you guys i think that's very cool to be a bar trivia question <laughs> you're like part of the zeitgeist oh, thank you um yeah. Wait, wait. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wait. I, I, I just
2: you just broke up. For, I took my earphone off. What was the bar trivia question?
1: I don't know what the question is, but oh. she DM'd me to say that the answer was three women.
2: Oh wow! Really? That's amazing.
1: Yeah, and she knew it because of the podcast.
2: Oh, that's so cool! Wow, that's. I mean, that might be. I, I don't think it's going to take precedence over the old man. Sure, sure. But it's definitely taking precedence over my daughter.
1: Yeah, she's she keeping. You, she's keeping me humble <laughs> over there. <laughs> exactly. Um, so wait, so I hear that you are working on another book. Can you tell us anything about what's next for you? So I wrote a novel, um,
2: and it's called Animal and it will be out um I believe next spring. Not this coming spring, but um yeah, next spring, sorry, from um avid reader press. And I, um, also this three women has been purchased by Showtime. Oh my so God. I'm, stop it. Oh my God. That's so cool. <laughs> so I'm working on, um, adapting it into a, a series, like a big little lies type of a thing on me. It's real.
1: Oh my God. Oh, how cool. I would absolutely watch that. I have chills for you. That's <laughs> so cool.
2: Yeah. So it's overwhelming, but, um. Clearly grateful.
1: That's amazing. So we have two last questions for you, and you know, Mm -hmm. this has been incredible to get the behind the scenes. And you missed the gushing part where we spent an hour and a half yesterday gushing about this book (laughs) and how thought provoking and compassionate and like amazing the book was. But um, I want to get your take. So we've had so many people write to us and say that they loved this book and what are other things like it like do you have nonfiction titles that people should check out if they love three women that either inspired you or that you've loved or that kind of or fiction too sure just that evoke a similar feeling similar feeling
2: yeah um i well i mean i love elena ferrante not the not the brilliant friend trilogy but everything else like troubling love and wait, why
0: don't you love the the brilliant phone?
2: I, I don't not love them. I I love think them. That the, I no, I mean no, it's great. They're amazing, but I don't not love them. I just love the other one so much more. Okay. And um I think that there's so much just I'm not even because I'm not even saying they're better books. I just for me, I just like the subject matter better. They're just so so honest about sex and love. And Like, you know, I'd say the one to start with is days of abandonment. Um, I also, I mean, in terms of evoking the same feeling, it's like, I guess, you know, for people who have said that they're depressing, my book's depressing or other books are depressing, you know, like, I guess. I have a depressive view of life and I also have a hopeful view of life, but I think to sort of ignore the depressive aspects makes it worse when you're going through a depressive moment. Um, So for those reasons, I like books that have the pain intertwined with the passion, like Natalia Ginsburg, the little virtues. Oh, Mary Gateskill, whose short fiction is obviously amazing. Her collection of essays called um, somebody with a little hammer is one of the best collection of essays I think ever written. Um, who else? Lucia Berlin short stories in general. Um, Grace Paley is one of my favorites. I think anything anybody picks up by her is the best thing that you might read at any given point in your life.
1: Oh my goodness. What a compliment. Wow.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, I have tons more, but I, I don't want to. Like, I, literally, the, the thing, there's nothing I like talking more about than what I like to read that's not my book. So, um, so anytime you guys want to talk about that, give me a call. I really love into that it. too, because that's why we started this podcast. <laughs> I know, yeah, I know. What a great thing that you guys are doing! It's super, like, it's so important that cool people are liking books. It's like the most important thing that could happen for literature and life in general. So really, I mean, I'm just so, I'm so impressed.
0: That's so nice well, of thank you. thank you. Someone once asked, they were like, are you upset the other influencers are starting to talk about books more? I'm like, no, like make reading <laughs> cool. I want every influencer to talk about books. No, All I it's, want it's,
1: is to be able to read a book and and like have everyone there to be my support group to talk about it with. Yes,
2: agreed. Well, that's the thing. It's part of why um, it's part of why I think that younger generations are just doing a better job in general of like a lot of different things. There's just more of like a there's just more of a coming together, and I think we need more of that. And I think you guys doing that with books is absolutely amazing.
0: We were saying that about Morgan, who you know from NYC Book Girl. She's oh, only she's twenty-four. We're like, <gasps> they, we were like, they make them so much better that generation. Like, not that we're different. I, I guess we're kind of different d- generations than her. Wait, um, how old are you guys? I'm thirty-seven, and I'm thirty-two. Okay, okay. but we were um, just joking about like how that generation they just like. They're just better.
2: They, I mean, it's so. I didn't know Morgan was twenty four. That's insane. Yeah, that's insane because she, yeah, they really. Well, we keep. I guess that's a good thing, though. We keep making them better, right? I mean, at least like we're like a really cool factory that at least is improved. <laughs> We've made some like really shitty stuff,
0: that at least we're improving. Yeah, we're getting better. <laughs> yeah, the factory is improving. Improving the factory of human beings. Oh, my God. Zero. Oh, God. Zero days since
1: last accident.
0: Wait, <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading right now? Um,
2: what am I reading right now? I am reading... Um, I'm reading... I'm reading William... I, when I go on... When I go on tour, I say that like I go on tour all the time. Since I've been on tour, I, uh, I've been reading William Trevor um, short stories because him and Alice Munro and Tessa Hadley, they're like short story artists that are also like they're just really cozy so whenever i'm traveling or doing something that scares me which is everything i (laughs) like to take short stories with me because they make me feel safe and so william trevor right now
0: okay wait talk to us about your tour how many cities have you hit
2: oh my god it's been i mean just i i just i always put this out there at the top because i it, it helps sort of calibrate everything else i hate to fly i didn't fly for five years until this whole book stuff started. Like that's one of the reasons I drove across the country six times. Oh my gosh. Um, So I, yeah, I hate to fly. I've been to um, uh, now probably like 25, 20 to 25 different cities. I've flown for like, to like 10, 12, 15 of them. I don't know. It's been awful. Um, And then I have to do the international stuff. I've also been to the UK three times and I have to go back again Um, then I have to go to Germany and Sweden and Romania. Like there's like a million places and it's really cool. And like to the outside, it like looks really cool. But I mean, inside I'm just like, I I just die a little bit more with each sort of new flight that I rack up. So,
1: so that's how it's going. Oh God. You need a lot of short stories to get through this. Yeah. (laughs) Thankfully there's a
2: lot of them out there.
1: Well, Lisa, thank you for taking the time today. This has been amazing it was so cool to hear the behind the scenes of this book and like how it got made and how you found these people because reading it at some points it was i forgot that they were real people
0: yeah i had to keep reminding myself that i was reading nonfiction, which is a testament
1: to the storytelling that you did and just like how masterfully it's done but um yeah, like we've never done a nonfiction title, so it's even more interesting because it's no. not just like this is something that I came up with in my head. You were like, no, I went and found these people.
2: Well, yeah. I'm so honored to be a nonfiction title of your that's really cool. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah. 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 Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this with us.
2: Thank you so much, you guys. Keep I'm I'm really excited to just keep following it. I'm so psyched. Thank you for having me. <laughs> we